All right, not one, not two, but three editions of the Standard Room Only podcast this week. Uh, I'm not really sure why I'm doing a third one from the standpoint of it's it's uh, it's New Year's. Happy New Year's, everybody, by the way. I hope everybody's doing well. But I asked for mailbag questions earlier in the week. Didn't have a chance to get to them because with, with the Dwayne Haskins news and everything else going on. Still wanted to get to them, so I uh, commandeered. Uh, my, my pal Matt Parrish with the Washington Times, who covers both the Washington football team and the Wizards, which is what the, what the mailbag questions are for, to stop by and uh, help me kill uh, some time here, answer your questions, and uh, hopefully have a little fun in the process. Matthew, Happy New Year. How, uh, how are we doing since I saw you a few hours ago on a Zoom call? Still holding in somehow. I think once the season ends, I, I'll just like melt into a puddle, but somehow I'm still standing, so... <laughs> I, I just did a, uh, a, a, a hit. I, I guess I want to say a radio hit, but it was Sirius XM. And while I was waiting to go on, I was talking to the hosts and they're like, boy, you had a crazy week in Washington. And I was like, eh. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, yes, yes. But like, it's another day that ends in a Y. I don't even notice it at this point. I mean, yes, things happened and it's, it's weird. And that's why you're talking to me. But at the same time, <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's been a lot. Um, and by the way, we're just talking about the Washington football team. The other team is currently 0-4 and uh, not not looking good, Bob. So there's a lot to get to here. The, the football team actually obviously has a big game this week, uh, win at Philadelphia, and they're in the in, in the playoffs, win the NFC East. Uh, the Wizards just need to win, <laughs> period. They'll have that chance, I guess, Thursday. I think they're playing the Bulls again, and uh, we'll see what happens there. Uh, so before we get to your questions, uh, a couple of quick things. Of course, you can follow this podcast or subscribe, I should say, on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, all that good stuff. If you're an iTunes person, you got a chance to leave a review, a rating, all that. Definitely helps the cause. Uh, you can follow me at The Athletic. Subscribe there. You can follow Matt on Twitter at Matthew underscore Paris, I believe, and read him on The Washington Times. Um, he'll have a fun story out tomorrow that I won't spoil for him, but it's a fun. It'll be really, it's a really interesting uh, look at uh, – Alex Smith of it all. I think I can say that much. Um, and um, anything else we need to plug before we start? No, no, that's it. That's a nice tease. Yeah, there you go. Um, all right, so so let's get to it, Matt. You are the guest, so I'm going to give you. So here's my my plan is this: um, the the wizard stuff. I'm going to try for mostly because this is a weird holiday time, and I don't know how many of you guys will be listening to this in real time. A lot of this will probably be more longer term stuff, even with the football team, but there'll be some obviously pertinent to right now, but I want to split it up, you know, all wizards, all football team. And then that way, if you only somebody's into one or the other, you can kind of know where to go. Matt, you are the guest. Would you like to start with the football team or the basketball team? Mm, let's do the wizards first. Let's do the wizards first. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, um, Boy, the first question I just saw, I, I, we have to build up to that one. So we'll, we'll hold up there. Uh, all right. So I guess what a lot of the questions with the Wizards have to do with some version of how quickly do we want to dismantle this thing? Like, what could you do? Or you could view it as what can you trade to get somebody to come in here and help the cause? So, for example, um, at SNR for Hole, uh asks besides Beal who are the most attractive trade pieces on the Wizards does anyone else actually like our young guys now I, I guess I would just say with this like the what was interesting to me about what's going on with the Wizards it was particularly that third game when Westbrook didn't play 
and you know Bertans is still on a minutes restriction. They're leading uh, Orlando by 17 points going to the fourth quarter. I, you and I were at the uh, the football game, so I didn't see any of this. But when in real time, I have people saying, "Oh, t- t- uh, texting or tweeting me, are they going to blow this?" And I was like, "I don't know what's happening." They're up 17, and they obviously lose the game. And so I went back and watched the fourth quarter on the TV. Drew Gooden, as the fourth quarter starts, says, what would you do now? The question to him. And he says, I would put Bradley Beal in the game right now. I'm making sure I'm not letting Orlando back in. Put Beal back in. Obviously, to some degree, proved to be accurate. But here's the thing that stood out to me was that without Westbrook and without Bertans in the game, they just didn't have anybody else that you would consider to be like even a – borderline go-to guy at all like it, it, looking at the older wizards in the wall beal Otto porter marching gortat Marquise morris era you could have taken any of those five guys i said make them be the one starter on the court with bench guys and kind of have somebody you could rally around they don't have that they have a lot of young guys who are we'll see guys i mean i really like danny obvia a lot but i'm just saying like in general i don't know so it's a lot of here it's all here to work with do you like do you think any of these other younger guys are attractive to another team if the Wizards say, hey, we need to get more help now. Who can we trade? Well, I, I mean, the obvious candidate is Ruha Jamara, and of course he hasn't played this season, but, you know, the way that they've talked him up and the way the importance uh, to the Wizards last season, you know, he played pretty well. I don't think they would be eager to trade him, but you look at other guys on the roster, the young pieces, Troy Brown, you know, I'm, I'm not really seeing a great rebounder, but and can handle the ball, but he's not a guy who can facilitate offense for you, really. He's not that go-to playmaker. Like, we talk about – we'll talk about, like, probably the bench struggles here in a bit, but, you know, if he can provide some scoring for them, I think a lot of their issues could be sorted out. But, you know, he's just not really doing it. Jerome Robinson, uh, they turned down his fourth-year option the other day, and um, other guys who just kind of added the rotation – Isaac Banga, I mean, who knows what he'll role, his role will be um, going forward with Hajimura returning, but maybe he's a guy. But even then, like, what are you getting for that? A second-round pick? There's just there's really no one out there to me that makes this a, an, an upgrade, which I think really when you look at the solutions, you kind of have to just look at rotations and that sort of thing to try and get the lineups more balanced out. Yeah, I mean, and I think this is like one of the problems with the Wizards, and it has been now for a few years. It's that there is no – whatever they say is the plan, it doesn't really actually make any real sense, right? I mean, you have Bradley Beal. You're trying to do everything you do to make him happy. You, you've already paid him a ton of money. You're trying to keep him around. You have you have Russell Westbrook, who you had to acquire, regardless of whether you think it was a good deal or not for Wall. You effectively had to acquire him to break up the Beal wall scenario, but that meant taking on three years of a guy making an insane amount of money. Then you keep the office Bertans, giving him a five-year, $80 million contract. Those are three players where it's all about the now, but then you're backed up with all these other young guys who look, I don't know what they will be. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that they're not good or whatever, but like they're not ready. <laughs> and so, you know, you do have like a Robin Lopez and an Ishmith who are, you know, totally viable role players and could even be, I think, for a real uh, contender, but it doesn't quite fit. And that's where I think this is like a constant issue is what are you doing? So I'm not saying that they should trade young players for immediate veterans, but I am saying things really, one hand does not seem to be connecting with the other hand. 
and and it does put them in this weird bind. My whole thought this year was the way for them to take a leap is Hachimura has to be like their Pascal Siakam, like go from like oh he's interesting to oh wow is he like a we start should we talk about him in the All Star conversation sooner than later? We'll see. Like you said, he hasn't played, but at the same time, but by the way, but did I see correctly? His issue, I guess it's pink eye, but whatever the technical term is, he's actually going to start playing as of tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, he's playing against the Bulls, twenty-minute limit, so they should get. Uh, you know, that all helps solidify the starting lineup, and then with uh, Davis Bertans, his minute restriction got kind of going away here, or increasing anyway. Um, you know, it, they'll start to resemble more of the team that maybe they're supposed to be. Yeah, no, that will help uh, for uh, for sure. All right. Um, again, as I said, Matt, a lot of these questions are kind of about panic button and like all of that. Like, who are we, who are we trading? Who are we getting rid of? So here's another one. This one from at a underscore process. I'm one of your people with the underscores. Uh, if the Wiz continue to struggle, and this is before this this came before uh, the what what the bull, losing of the Bulls. If the Wiz continue to struggle, is there a market for Westbrook at the trade deadline? What kind of package would you accept? I am not convinced he coexists well with Beal, and the small sample shows that so far. Thoughts? I mean, to I don't think you could get really anything from it. I mean, the fact that they, they traded John Wall, that was a really a perfect scenario. You're basically – if you're trading him, I mean, you're, you're trading him for one contract for another. So you're Blake Griffin, you know, that that's someone, maybe Kevin Love, but it just, that doesn't really do anything. Uh, you know, that doesn't really solve any of the Wizards' problems. And the Wizards' ceiling with Russell Westbrook is a lot higher than what it would be with Love or Griffin. And then, of course, you have to factor in the Bradley Beal scenario if – even if they could trade like Westbrook and get, uh, let's say, a young package of players or whatever, what is that doing to Beal? And is Beal going to want to trade based on that move? And so, you know, one, I just don't think it's really realistic to even talk about trading Westbrook. But then, two, kind of have to think about the consequences as well, even if you could. Yeah, here's what, here's what you're getting for Westbrook. Nothing. The, the reason the only the, the reason why the wall for Westbrook trade was so good for the Wizards again I don't know what the season is going to happen but just in terms of where they were at the reason why John Wall was considered to have, be one of the worst if not the worst contract in the, in the NBA was in order to trade him you would have had to give up two to three first round picks just for the other team to be interested because it was not a good deal and then the the what you would get back would be somebody else's garbage contracts that they didn't want. With Westbrook, Houston had the same problem effectively on the other end, and they were they would have also had to give up picks. Instead, they got a pick, so they were willing to take on Wall, and uh, but they had the same issue with Westbrook. So all the Wizards did was swap one bad contract for another. They do get the better player in theory. I mean, obviously Westbrook has not looked like the Russell Westbrook yet, even though he's had nothing but triple doubles in his three games. It kind of shows what that stat kind of means to some degree. Um, but uh, yeah, you're getting nothing for Westbrook and you're going to like it. So they're, they're basically stuck with him. Even if the Bradley Beal thing falls apart and he were to hypothetically demand a trade or whatever, Westbrook I don't think is going anywhere unless you just want to make your situation even worse by taking on 
bad deals and having to give up more picks. You already traded one first round pick for Wall. I don't think you can't give up any more. Westbrook is the guy. That's it. I don't think there's much else to do. By the way, now as for that other part about the fit, um, here's one thing I would say about that. Westbrook and John Wall, not, and I'm not saying a 100% identical match, but in many ways, the same type of player. It's all about their athleticism, playing up-tempo. Neither is a consistent shot. Westbrook is probably a worse three-point shooter. Um, and they're ball dominant and all that stuff. When you look at their offense right now, and I don't have not looked at the statistics or anything, but clearly the offensive flow is not where it was last year. Last year, the issue was they couldn't stop anybody, but they could score with anybody. This year, the offense has been more herky-jerky, and I think part of it is last year's offense did not have a ball-dominant point guard who couldn't shoot. And it's really – I mean, my colleague at the Athletic, Fred Katz, wrote a story today about how they really need, are, you know, kind of struggling with putting shooters around Westbrook, and that's clogging up uh, – that, that's messing up the spacing and things like that. So I don't know if I would say that it, the Beal-Westbrook thing is a problem. I would say that they haven't figured out how to use Westbrook yet because a year ago they didn't have that type of player at all. They need to just – Look, I can't stay in this three-point guard lineup. It's driving me insane. I, I, I really – it's coaching malpractice. Four games in a row, it makes absolutely no sense. And the numbers are terrible. So I don't get it. But that's the thing. Like, they need to, instead of putting out Neto and Ish Smith with Westbrook, you know, put out I, – I mean, whatever, Bertans and Garrison Matthews or, or whatever. Like, it can't be that. So I don't have an issue with Beal Westbrook. I just have an issue with the – it's just not working right now. Yeah, you know, I was diving into some of their numbers earlier today, and they were 24th in uh, efficiency, but they're third in pace. So they're still playing at a relatively fast um, pace, but the efficiency isn't there. And, uh, you know, I think some of that might be Westbrook, but it's really, I, I agree with what Fred was writing. I think it's really about just who they, they put around them. We saw last game against the Bulls that, Bertans and Westbrook were paired more together and that was working, you know, take plus minus for what it's worth, but they were some of the only two, only one of the few players that um, were positives for the Wizards and they shared the floor together most of the time. So, you know, I I think surrounding uh, Westbrook with shooters, especially Bertans makes a lot of sense, but yeah, you know, the three point guard lineup is just, it's baffling. And no, I know, uh, Neto is uh, 30%, like high 30s three-point shooter historically, but I'm not super convinced he's a shooter just yet. I mean, we'll see. This is a guy who's played in small sample sizes in the past and has really never had a consistent role throughout uh, the course of a season. So I'm not even really concerned. Like, I get why he's out on the floor, but I wouldn't be afraid to pull the hook on that if it doesn't improve pretty soon. For sure. Are you ready for the big question? Uh, from my guy, like, I know you, Matt Paris, have lots of fans out there. This guy is my number one fan. There's no, there's no doubt about it. He's always, he couldn't be nicer. Uh, whenever I would see him at Wizards game, he like, you know, very nice. Stephen Powers at DC Stones, 1978. He, if this guy was my agent, uh, or my, he should be my press agent. I'd be, I'd be in good shape. But anyway, Question is, here we go. How bad does the record have to be before Scott Brooks is fired? Uh, will one and nine do it? Will three and twelve do it? Five and fifteen? What have you? Uh, I did look this up. I believe 
and I've already forgot this because my memory is terrible, but uh, I believe when Flip Saunders was fired, the, the late Flip Saunders, it was, I believe they were two and 15. Uh, that was a, uh, you know, that was post, that was a lot going on there. That was post the, uh, the Gilbert Arenas guns in the locker room situation and everything was falling apart. So different type of scenarios. He was brought in to coach a veteran team and then it, it turned into something else. Uh, all that said, I don't know. I mean, I guess, I guess the broader question is, we all, we all get the deal. Scott Brooks is in the last year of his contract, uh, $7 million. doesn't really matter what the number is anymore. He's getting paid that regardless. Does it matter? You know, do we think there's a point where they would have to say, look, this has been, this has been real, but you got to go. Or do we think for all kinds of different reasons, maybe concluding that Westbrook is on this team, a guy he used to know that he makes it out regardless. Well, yeah, I think that's a huge factor, but I think you look at their bench, there's really no, um, obvious assistant behind Scott Brooks to take over. I mean, Robert Peck, he hasn't had a, a head coaching experience before. There, there's really no guy that you would look to and say, okay, that, that's an obvious head coaching candidate or someone who could step in. So I think that does. And then you risk um, jump, like um, alienating Westbrook with, with that sort of move. I think you kind of want it to, to play out there. But, yeah, it – He's not doing anything right now um, to obviously warrant an extension, but you know, as this continues, I think more and more questions are going to be asked about his job, right? So let me ask you this: You have been on more of the Wizards watch so far this year than I have, and you, presumably you've been on more of the the Zooms than I have, and and and, and all that stuff. Um, I was on the Zoom. I have been on some, but not not a ton. I, I was on the Zoom yesterday after they lost to the Bulls, zero and four. And I was just struck, and this is not new new when it comes to Scott Brooks, but it was like if you if you would if you would just watch if you had no context of what you were watching and you saw this coach, and I said, okay, what is happening with this coach's team? You might you might have said, well, they just finished a uh, Tuesday afternoon practice, and they just came back from a three uh, a three games and four day road trip, and he's probably a little bit tired. <laughs> and uh, instead, they just lost, fell to 0-4. They lost to a Bulls team that hadn't won a game at home, and they weren't even that close. Uh, and I, I, I don't – and this is, again, the fifth year of his contract. You'd think there would be some level of urgency. To me, I just – I don't get it. What, what Again, Scott Brooks has never been an emotional guy. He's always even keeled. But I always make this point, at some point, the head coach may try to act a certain way with the media than they do with us. And you can't hide that forever. At some point you are who you are as a person and it comes out. It Nothing ever comes out with him. It's always this sort of flat message, which maybe is good at times to not be overreactive. Not now. I think you got to show something. Are, are you, uh, were you as, were you struck by that at all? Or do you kind of think like Ooh. me that like, Hey, well, where is the urgency here? I mean, sort of, but at the same point, I understand where he was coming from. You know, you kind of think back to the Magic game. Bradley Beal was really upset after that game. He had some comments. So I think by trying to, you know, not stoke the flames, fan the flames, that he's trying to calm everything down, trying to to put everything back. Because, you know, there are 0-4, but it is a 72-game season. I think there are some legitimate concerns there. But understand why, from his perspective, he would try and, get everyone to kind of relax it it definitely it, and it wasn't just him you know it was it was Bertans it was Beal today it was Westbrook all these guys you know they took a long time to speak to the media who knows if they were having a meeting that 
that's the part that kind of sucks in the Zoom era is you can't stand outside the locker room and tell if, you know, a meeting or you can't hear if shouting is going on or anything like that. But it's it seemed like they at least had some sort of conversation to be like, all right, let's be on the same page here. Let's try and calm everyone down and we're in this together. And that's definitely been their message the last two days. And, I mean, maybe that's what they need. To, to try and fix things for themselves. You know, we've seen these toxic environments with the Wizards in the past of slow starts and, you know, um, you know, just kind of unfolding from there, of taking shots at each other from the media, or like passive aggressive shots. And I don't think that's happening here. And you know, I, I would like to see some urgency from Brooks, but at the same time, I, I get it. This is why you are the nice person in this podcast because I'm just I mean like I get it like I said broadly like you can't overreact to everything even with this shorter season it's still 68 games to go I think uh, I think maybe I don't know somebody in the, and maybe it's Chase Hughes but somebody pointed out to Westbrook I guess that or, or mentioned to Westbrook that one of his OKC teams had started a season 0-4 and then ripped off seven straight and Westbrook said yes that happened <laughs> whatever else he said so sure I get that I guess my only thing is it's just it's I've seen this show before two years ago they started the season 0-2, and, and I wrote the season off at that point, not because they were 0-2, but because of the way Scott Brooks was messaging after the game. That, to me, signaled he didn't get what was happening, and then the season unfolded the way that it did, and and, and that does just my fear now. Now, the Westbrook dynamic is different because he is Russell Westbrook, a force of nature, so I'm willing to accept that maybe that changes. Plus, look, Bertans clearly not ready to go. You have to hope – you have to imagine he'll get – He'll get better. They haven't had Hachimura, uh, you know, all, all that type of stuff. So there's reason to be that it's not like they have everything perfect and then they, they're 0-4. So I'll give them that much. Yeah, right. And like uh, that, that's the thing, too, is, you know, Westbrook's obviously super competitive. Bradley Beal cares a lot, and he tries to set the tone there. I just think, you know, they – they're all trying to have like this collective moment together where, oh, we all like each other. These guys care. We're all pissed off, but it's a good thing we're all pissed off. Like they're trying to to sell that message and I'm kind of buying it. I mean, only once, I guess, but I think that I think maybe it, it could help turn things around. I'm not ready to hit the, the panic button just yet. And the one difference between this team and that one from a couple of years ago is the personalities on that team were just all over the place. You had Austin Rivers, Dwight Howard, uh, you know, John Wall. Um, you had a lot going on. This team, I, I think, I, I want to say you are a big uh, listener of a lot of the podcasts I listen to. I think it was on the Zach Lowe podcast with Kevin Arnovitz recently before the season started. They talked about the Wizards. And I think the point was made that for the first time since, they, since the Gilbert Arenas era, the two best players on the team are not crazy people. It's like there are two people who are highly professional, who under who who are who want who understand sort of how to play, want to win, meaning Beal and Westbrook. And I think that is a reasonable point. Um, and, and that's why going into the year, I had some optimism. So, uh, so yeah. So I guess the broader question is to the what's the record need to be? Since we answer that, I won't put Matt on the spot. If we veer into Flip Saunders territory, I think it's got to go. I mean, I, I don't, I mean, especially in the last year, but it, but it's not, while I think Scott Brooks has been part of the problem, I think there is many other issues involved, including what the hell is the plan? And if Ted Leonis is just going to just go do the next, you know, go hire the next version of Scott Brooks, whatever that may be, then 
you know, they, they need a real plan. I think Tommy Shepard's done a, a reasonable job with the, with the hand he was dealt, but at the same point, they need to, um, I, you know, it isn't just enough to fire somebody. What's the plan um, after that? Um, let me see if I have another Wizards question in here for you. I guess I'll just ask this one from at Ben Standig. Is Denny Avdia amazing or amazing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he he's pretty he's pretty good. But man, talk about a a weird answer today from Beal. Uh, he was asked about Avdia's defense, and you know he he's looked competent out there, surprisingly. But swatted it back to earth, <laughs> saying like, "Yeah, he's still a rookie. He's got to grow." And it was just. Uh, it was quite – I don't know. It was an interesting answer. But um, he's certainly fun to cover. Uh, I really like enjoying him from a media standpoint, and he fills our notebooks up. And, um, yeah, yeah, he's a uh, – he's an entertaining personality. And what, 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 I, what, what I like about him, and this is like – and I, I don't really have the sense of Wizards Twitter, as it were, on this because, you know, one, I, I'm, not as, I'm not into it as much as I was, and also – like, you know, we're just not, like you said, we're not with the team. We're not around all the other people and bloggers and all these other things. Um, so many people, I think, typically get caught up in the wrong thing to like a player. Like, so, for example, Kelly Oubre is a classic example of this. There's Kelly Oubre is on paper what you want your basketball guy to be. He's long. He's athletic. He's charismatic. He can jump out of the gym, all that stuff. The problem with Kelly Brazy is he doesn't actually know how to play basketball. His fundamental skills are not good. His shoot, I mean, what the stat the other day was so insane that he was like four games into the year and he hadn't made one shot that wasn't a dunk or whatever it was. Um, and, and, you know, you see that. And, um, you know, I would point to, to, to t- connect it with just ha- what happened in the football team. It was a similar, the same issues I had with Dwayne Haskins. When he entered the league, I'm like wh- listening to him talk right off the bat. And I was like, what? I don't think he understands like what it takes to actually do this job. Anyway, the, the flip side of that is a guy like Denny Avdia, who, look, he already has been playing with professionals now for a bit of playing overseas. That that helps. But like you either have instincts, I think, or you don't. And he totally understands how to play basketball. Now, I don't know if he's going to be an all-star, a competent starter or whatever. We'll see. But on the surface, you're already dealing with a high-level IQ of a basketball player who, who knows how to play, knows positioning, knows where the ball needs to be to get out of his hands, and he gets angles. And, look, he can do the, the, the other fun things like shoot, it seems like. So um, there's a lot to like there. Again, I don't, I'm not suggesting that the Wizards have a big three with Beal, Westbrook, and Avdia. I'm just saying he knows how to play the game, and I will take that over the – wow, that guy could be great one day when he doesn't actually know kind of what he's doing. Uh, you can have one of those guys on the team. You can't have a roster of those guys. Yeah, it's a nice feeling. I think when he was drafted, it was, okay, how is he going to be able to play with Bertans or Hachimura? Like, isn't this going to be too much of an overlap? And isn't one of these guys going to be, like, on the outside? Well, the math problem still kind of presents itself, but he – I think his feel for the game, you know, the way he spaces the floor and, and kind of moving it out, you know, I wouldn't have any. I'm interested to see how he plays with Hachimura, but I don't have as many concerns about that fit as I did uh, right when he was drafted. For sure. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how they divvy up the minutes, you know, between 
Hakimura, Bertans, and, 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 and Avdia in terms of, um, you know, none, none of those guys really can play the five. I mean, look, in the, in the current NBA, you could have, uh, you know, Neto play mm-hmm. the five. But, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, in theory, none of those guys are really a five, especially if you're talking about having to face a Joel Embiid or an actual big man. Um, on the flip side, you know, you really couldn't put any of them down. You, know, you wouldn't put them at the two, obviously, because of Beal and Westbrook. So, I, you know, how the minutes go there will, will be interesting, but it's a good problem to have, especially since Denny Avdias looked pretty good so far. Um, uh, we're here on, on the Standard Group Only podcast. Ben Standing with uh, Matt Paris from the uh, Washington Times. We're talking, we're going through some Wizards mailbag questions. We'll get to the Washington football team in just a second. Um, I asked a friend of mine for a mailbag questions. He just sent one that made me laugh, but I will not use it here on the podcast. Uh, here's a question from at Liddell's place. Garrison Matthews, should he be playing to help space the floor? I will add a part B to that, and that is, has Garrison Matthews become the backup quarterback of the Wizards, meaning the most popular guy is the guy who doesn't play? He's, he's become the – I'll give you go one step further. He's become the Simi Cobbs of oh – Washington Wizards, the, the practice squad guy who you hear about it is lighting it up, but yet doesn't get the opportunity. I mean, I like Garrison Matthews' game. Uh, I think he's a great shooter. He couldn't be a nicer guy, but should he be getting rotation minutes? I mean, there's just not really anything that we've seen that he could do it con- consistently or even to, to be a capable enough defender. Like, defense, they've had some offensive problems so far, but defense is very much – still a thing for for this team and they need to figure it out and I don't know if plugging him in there solves that so I just I don't know I think it's a little bit silly Scott Brooks has been asked about it pre-game and post-game and it's just like all right you know maybe he gets an opportunity down the line but I just I'm not eager to see that as much as maybe some other people are so I'll say this like um the way I view a, a, a team is you have your top, you know, your top few guys who are just the best players you have. But then the other, the next handful of players behind them have got to be able to do specific things. It's like, so like, for example, like he's playing Jerome Robinson here and there. Jerome Robinson was a first round pick, a lottery pick just a couple of years ago, right? So in theory, there's something there. And I'm not saying he couldn't be something, but I don't know what he does for me right now. What I know that Garrison Matthews can do is shoot the lights out of the basketball. Now, I don't want to make the comparison to Duncan Robinson with Miami because I'm talking about two white guy shooters. Like, I'm not, I, they're not the same player. But there's something to be said for, like, we're talking about spacing the court with Westbrook. Regardless of what Matthews can do on the other end of the court, maybe I've been watching Moneyball too much. And uh, the, the, the premise of the, of the Moneyball theory that, that uh, Jonah Hill lays out is you're not buying wins, you're buying – I'm sorry, you're not buying talent, you're buying wins, and you win by getting runs. Well, for the Wizards right now, they got to they they need in this NBA you need to be able to shoot, and that guy can shoot. So does it really kill you? To, even if his defense isn't that good, and I honestly could not say, so I'm not saying it's good or bad. But like, is he? I know he can shoot. Are we saying he really? You can't put him out there with Russell Westbrook, who everybody's going to have to guard, and he's just going to get wide open looks and potentially knock down shots versus this whole thing with Ish Smith and Neto, or even playing. Jerome Robinson, I, I, would, I wouldn't have an issue playing with Garrett, Garrison Matthews. In fact, I would probably push it just based on the Westbrook aspect that we talked about before, helping to space the, helping to space the court. Yeah, it's not a bad argument. I mean, you could, in theory, that 
either Seth Neto or Ish Smith. I, you know, you definitely need a shooter in that place, but yeah, it, it's a good argument. I just, I, I don't know. I don't think it's the, the miracle cure that some have either projected it out to be, or I, you know, does it make the bench that much better to where they're not blowing leads late in games? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. Uh, yeah, I just always look at everything like along the lines of it's not the best eight, nine, ten players that make your rotation. It's the eight, nine, ten players that fit best together that make your rotation, and especially at the bottom end of it. And I, like I said, I just it doesn't feel right now. Like I wouldn't sit Troy Brown. I, you know, he he needs to play. I think this. I think also think all these point guards screws with Troy Brown. His best asset is probably his ball handling and passing, and that takes away from him when you have all these point guards on the court. But you know, they I think they already kind of messed with him when they had all these other. Uh, had these other guys. Um, last question on the Wizards, maybe. Have you seen Cade Cunningham play yet? That's not the question. Uh, uh, I have not. Okay, well, because the question was, is Cade Cunningham worth a tank? He is the freshman, I want to say Oklahoma State, right? Uh, who's considered to be the projected number one. So I just didn't know if we had, uh, uh, if we had, I don't know what the uh, what, what the tank na- uh, name here is. Uh, um. Cade for be, be Bade for Cade. I don't know. Um, Spade for Cade. Sure. Um, yeah, I have not. I mean, I have not watched college basketball for the most part this year, other than some terrible Georgetown games, um, as well. All right. Before we go to the Wizards, any any final thoughts on? I'm sorry. Before we go to the football team, any final thoughts on the Washington uh, Wizards before we move? Uh, no final thoughts on the Wizards, but if all these NBA games could stop being blowouts, that would be really nice. What is going on with that? Do we think this is like, I mean, I guess this is the thing also, right? Is like, you know, we just dealt with this with the football team to some degree is like this whole year is bizarre. Just simply forget all the, the football team stuff, but just from the COVID perspective. Yeah. You're playing in empty gyms now in the, in the NBA. The, the TV broadcast harped on that a lot the other day. They were making some comment, like, I think they were fear of being sincere. Like, it was kind of dead in there, even being empty. And we're like, well, of course it's dead. But they were, like, I think saying, like, the Wizards were playing with a lack of energy in part because it was dead, which, look, maybe that's true, but that's a problem. I mean, there is yeah. this is how it's going to be. So I can imagine that for all these teams, it's got to be super weird. Like, the Orlando bubble – it felt like just watching on TV, at least it felt like it was a smaller situation. You weren't in this cavernous arena. You had those uh, pictures of those video screens of fans up on the wall that at least from the TV perspective made it look like something was happening. And it felt like closer quarters. Plus I felt like. Was it? It was the playoffs for a large portion of those games, you know? Right. 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 So the intensity levels up and all that. Yeah. Right, right. So this has got to feel super weird for everybody. So I'll give everybody the Wizards a pass on that front, but every team is also going through that uh, that same thing. Um, all right, let's get to some of the football questions. Um, I'll try to start off with some of the ones that are pertinent to uh, – actually, I'll hold off the ones that are, that are about this game and, and we'll sort of move backwards um, that way. So here's a question from at Brad Ormy. What's their best course at quarterback, assuming they have the 19th pick? Draft a quarterback there, draft a quarterback later who may be more of a project, uh, target the, the realistically best available quarterback they could get in free agency, or I'll throw in 
make a trade, what's your best guess? Which, which of these paths would make the most sense if they're picking 19th, which means they would have won the division. I'll, I'll let you go first there. Well, Zach Wilson is probably definitely gone by 19, right? So based yeah. on the, mo- the way the mock drafts seem to be flowing, obviously Trevor Lawrence is going one. Um, you know, if the, if, if, if the Jets have the second pick, most projections are putting a quarterback there. Now they do have Sam Darnold, so we'll see. And there will be a new coach, presumably, and all that. But they have they have a they have them taking a two, and then both uh, Justin Fields and Trey Lance are going somewhere in the top ten or eleven. Which is why, if they lose Sunday and end up picking, end up second in the division, they are in that ten to twelve range, and then a quarterback is more in play. But we're just focusing here on the, what if they pick nineteen. Yeah. So. You know, I've always been a fan of Matt Ryan's, <laughs> and I think if him or Stafford becomes available, I don't know if necessarily the cost would be as high as maybe some people have project are projecting. Now, that's not based on talking to anybody, but and quarterbacks do tend to get a good return. But uh, I just I don't know. I, I think that he is such a he's a you know. He, he piles up yards year after year. He, he's a good decision maker for the most part. I know some of his late game decision making isn't necessarily what you would want it to be in a quarterback. So it, it is tempting and you know, we don't know what ha- is going to happen with Alex Smith yet. This has been a great story, but um, you know, who knows if he, he wants to play next season and, and there's still the Kyle Allen factor. Um, he's he's going to be an, uh, an EFRA, right? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, they'll be able to um, come back pretty cheaply. And I don't think that's a terrible option either. Granted, you bring in competition for for him, you know, and I think that would be more of a later-round quarterback type of deal. Yeah, I, I um, you know, I've evolved on this over the course of the year. I, I, I did a story a few weeks ago for The Athletic about um, – just this exact topic. What here are their different options? You have these three guys in house. You have this likely top five to ten pick. And then you have the veteran market. Well, since then, Dwayne Haskins is gone. Uh, I'll get to the Alex Smith part of that in a second. And then they instead of picking top five, top ten, now they're favored at the moment to be picking nineteenth. And so it really changes things. I think here's my thing. I think Ron Rivera is going to want to get this thing going now. I don't think he was necessarily of an urgent frame of mind this year, which is, I think was the reasonable way to go, but we saw what happened early in the season when he, he recognized that the division was potentially up for grabs and they decided that that I think that was to some degree an excuse to, to bench Dwayne Haskins and go with somebody else, but he did that. He also, and I hate to, I, I don't know, you know, look, I'm not in his head, so I don't know, but like, he obviously had a, a very serious medical issue this year. Um, as somebody who's, ha- who's dealt with serious medical issues before, you look, obviously you put your own mortality into play. And I would wonder on some level, does he think to himself, I'm not waiting around here for this. I'm not saying he's going to be in trouble. I'm just saying like, what, what am I waiting for? You never know what's going to happen in the NFL. Tomorrow could be your last day. The owner could change his mind about everything. And Marty Schottenheimer and, and get rid of him and start over. Who knows? Um, also, he just went through this with Dwayne Haskins. Is he really want to develop another young quarterback? And if you're picking at 19, 
you know, look, obviously Lamar Jackson was the last pick in the first round. Russell Wilson was the third round pick. I mean, Kirk Cousins was the fourth round pick. All these things could happen. But in theory, the 19th pick is not a great spot to take a quarterback. It means he wasn't considered to be good enough to be picked yeah. high. So you're, you're probably reaching. So I'm going to guess if they, if we, if, if that's the way it unfolds, it's a veteran quarterback. And I do put more stock into sort of the Alex Smith retirement of it all. And one thing I wrote that will be up on the athletic by the time you hear this presumably is like, I think that two things have happened this week that have, that reshaped the 2021 conversation. One is you cut Haskins. I mean, I think we knew that was happening, but like that did happen. And two, Alex Smith has now missed the last two and a half games at least. We'll see about this week with what does not seem to be that serious of a calf injury. I'm not obviously a doctor, but they're not the way they're, they're not talking about it. Like it's something that crazy. They're talking about soreness and it's because he's got this leg that is obviously, you know, a medical marvel, but how can you trust that? Uh, it's one thing to get through the season. How do you go into next season to say to yourself, we're going to go into this year paying him $19 million, the $24 million cap hit. And we have no idea week to week whether he's really going to be available. I just think that's a bit too much. So I think the veteran quarterback comes into play. The only counter would be you have Kyle Allen. He could be your Ryan Fitzpatrick and you draft the some rookie. Um, and I know that Kyle Trask from Florida is playing tonight. He's a guy that maybe jumps into the first round. But that that would be my guess right now if we had to um, if we had to handicap that. Yeah, uh, you know. Oh. No, go ahead. Just I just add on that quickly. We talked about the Jets at two and whether they draft a quarterback, what do they do with Darnold? Well, uh, you know, that popped into my mind because he'd be a pretty cheap quarterback still on your rookie contract. But I just think the uncertainties with how he's performed in his career, I think they're at a position now where that type of gamble doesn't make as much sense because I do think if they do go for it next year, I, I do think that that's the, the route to go. Your defense or their defense has been, good enough to where, you know, they need to capitalize on this window. Guys like Jonathan Allen will be due next season to, to be in line for a contract extension. And you're going to have to start paying these guys here pretty quickly. And so you only have a, have a window where these guys are all on pretty good rookie deals and need to take advantage. Yeah, for sure. Um, I should say at spider strick essentially asked the same question. So appreciate uh, you guys asking that. Um, at oh boy, double underscore at MTH underscore PG underscore eight oh four. A lot going on there. What to make of recent run defense issues? Um, what to make of that? I don't know. Do we make anything of that? I mean the. Uh, you <laughs> yeah, you want me? You want me to ask Del Rio that one? <laughs> um, you know, I mean they they've been a little bit better lately but then Seattle ran all over them and Carolina I don't know what they I mean the second half Carolina did not do much offensively but in the first half they were able to do some some things I mean look they, they've had they've been in and out of the lineup with some of their linebackers last few weeks they, they did get Cole Holcomb back last week Kevin Pierre Lewis remains on the uh, on the injury report at least their safeties are you know Cameron Curl's been obviously a, a, a great find it feels like it's safety but you know they're having to you know they're going pretty deep in that spot and uh, you, know, you still have that defensive line, but you know, in the first half of games in particular, they're getting run on you uh, the film guru that you are. You got any thoughts on that? Um, it, yeah, definitely not a film guru, but um, I think it is two things. One, 
Deshaja Everett's injury, you know, when he came in at free safety, he was that hard-hitting physical type of back they needed. And I think it helped a lot of things um, with, with the run game because not only did you have Cam, Cam and Curl in the box, but if a running back did kind of escape to plug the hole, then, you know, you would count on Everett to, to make that type of tackle. And then, too, yeah, the linebackers – have undergone some shuffling here, but I just don't think it's, I still don't think it's a position, even though they played better in recent weeks that you're still going to give up some runs because of the overall weakness of the position. You know, Cole Holcomb has made some nice strides. Kevin Pierre Lewis and John Bostic are both a little inconsistent. I think as you look at what positions Washington could upgrade this off season, I would put linebacker pretty high on the list. Yeah, I agree. And also, like, if you go back to where we were at the beginning of the year, right, uh, Thomas Davis was projected to be more in play. Obviously, he's going – this will be his last game of his career, which is, you know, a great career for him. But in terms of this year specifically, uh, you know, he's not – he's been a non-factor. Sean Dion Hamilton has been a non-factor. Now he's out for the year. Uh, I mentioned Kevin Pierre-Lewis is, you know, hasn't been playing of late. So you're already now down to having to use the rookie Kalik Hudson, who wasn't playing at all on defense, having him to play. Uh, so you've been saying it's just another position where you're getting deep into it. And in this one, you also, like you said, really didn't have a lot to work with at the top to begin with. I agree. Other than Cole Holcomb, I think they really need to address uh, that. They, they don't they don't have anything that I would consider to be like must keep going forward. That is definitely a position they need. And, and this is where picking 19, um, you know, again, if, if, if sort of quarterback, goes off the board there. Then you start looking at other po- possible positions. I think wide receiver is, is, is one, although I'm not a big fan of taking receivers early in drafts uh, for all kinds of reasons for an off-season podcast. Um, safety is uh, another pot. Well, actually, I'll take that back. I'll scrap safety. But cornerback could be a possibility, depending if Ronald Darby is, is a free agent, uh, so on and so on. So, um, you know, the linebacker could easily be the top position, the top need by the time we get to closer to the draft. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, definitely, you know, cornerback, that is a, a thing. Even if, even if Darby re-signed, you could still draft someone, but on the outside, uh, I was thinking about this the other day when, before they traded Dunbar, the original plan was to have Dunbar, Darby and Fuller there. And, and you know, that would have allowed Fuller to play a lot more inside. Fuller's done really well on the outside and I think he's shown that he's going to handle that but uh, I don't know I, I think he might be a better inside corner and Jimmy Moreland's good well that's nothing against him but um, you know uh, we're talking about positional value for first round grades and um, I, I would go corner over linebacker or safety just on the philosophy and everything all right um, at Mr. Rashid fourth uh, asks how much of Washington's trouble on offense this year is play calling? QBs and lack of deep weapons getting all the attention, but is play calling the best for personnel on the field? For example, Wildcat with Logan Thomas under center on third down. Um, so, look, I play calling is always sort of fascinating. Like Scott Turner has done some of these really exotic plays during the season, particularly during the winning streak, and some of them work, some of them didn't. When they work, everybody thinks they're great. When they don't work, everybody thinks, what a disaster. Why would you call that? So I think those are sort of always like a high wire situation. I just think the reality is 
Washington has had not good quarterback play all year. I mean, even with Alex Smith, they're four and one in the games he has started. He has thrown four touchdowns and six interceptions. The thing that he has done well is be efficient, understand. He's so smart. He understands, uh, you know, where the ball needs to go, what the defense is showing. He's completing a high percentage of his passes, but it's not like he's really killing it. The, 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 um, the playmakers have actually been a big surprise. I mean, to an extent, I mean, I think we started to see this in training camp, but you had Terry McLaurin, J.D. McKissick has been a, a, a you know, a, a really nice, he's been more than just a third down pass catching back. Obviously, Antonio Gibson has been a real playmaker. He's just been a bummer. He's been out, or, you know, he was out a couple weeks and last week um, they had to kind of go away from him in the second half when, uh, uh, when the offense, when they fell behind. And then Logan Thomas, I mean, Lordy, I mean, he's been, Really good. I, I so I guess I would say I don't think I would question the play calling per se. I, I think Scott Turner has shown to be very aggressive, and that's kind of fun. The reality is though, they just the quarterbacks been all over the place. We're on if, if Taylor we're up to four quarterbacks already. If Heineke starts this week, there'll be four different quarterbacks have started. That is never a good recipe. And then the fact that one of them is the Bionic quarterback is really just you know it just adds to it. So um, I would put it more on that than I would. And also, let's, I'm not, we didn't mention the offensive line has had issues on the left side, particularly early in the year. So I'd put it more on the quarterback roller coaster than I would play Colin. Right. Well, a couple points there. One about the surprising emergence of the playmakers. I think scheme and, and play calling contributes to that. You know, you look at guys like Brady McKissick and Antonio Gibson, they're in positions to make plays because of what Scott Turner is calling. You know, there is some. There are some tendency things that I, I think can be questioned. Um, you know, not maybe getting away from the run a little bit too soon or trying to take a deep shot when it's not there. But uh, to your point about the quarterbacks, you know, think about 2018 when Washington also had four quarterbacks in a season. Now, obviously the drop-off from Smith to McCoy and to Sanchez and to Josh Johnson, that that's probably more severe than than this case but it's still Washington's offense is still better functioning in part because I just think they do things that that get the ball to to a variety of playmakers and I think that that's partly through play calling and scheme and design and all those sorts of things yeah I agree I mean I think I think they've largely done I mean yeah there's some things I could point to question but like I, I never I don't, I don't really get the feeling of like, boy, that was really working. How come you went away from it? I know this past week that just sort of happened with the run, but there was a lot going on there with, with the quarterback. When, 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 when Logan Thomas and McKissick and Gibson, they've been able to exploit some matchups there. And look, obviously having McLaurin out, out of the lineup makes a huge, huge deal. And that leads me to my next question as we start getting into sort of talking about what's going to happen this week against Philadelphia. At J-Man721 asks, Without Terry, how can this team get it done versus the Eagles? High ankle sprains are very difficult to expect someone to play through. Um, we were out of practice today on Wednesday. Uh, McLaurin was off on the side. We couldn't see it just based on the positioning of where that field is and where we stand. So we don't know what he was doing, but I'm not expecting him to play at this point. The high ankle sprain that Ron Rivera revealed to us Monday makes me, you know, that's those things typically take multiple weeks. So I'm not going to assume he'll be he'll be able to go that does change a lot what they can do with their offense uh, I mean the fact that Cam Sims who began the year on the practice squad would be their number one receiver is is quite says quite a lot about the situation 
if it's Alex Smith or I guess even if it's Taylor Heineke, I don't know. I mean, look, the receivers are just not they're they're you're hoping you got Logan Thomas, you got McKissick, you got Gibson. That's your offense. The receivers are the sort of the uh, Garrison Matthews type guys where like you're just going to hope that like they have a hot night and they and they can help you. I mean, Cam Sims has made some big plays, but he's had a lot of games also where he's kind of not been much of a factor. Yeah, I mean, I, I was just when you were talking there, I was pulling up kind of the box score from week one and just looking at that, you see kind of how much the offense ha- has changed and obviously losing McLaurin hurts, but you know, Antonio Gibson, nine rushes for 36 yards, only two catches for eight yards in the first meeting. Uh, Peyton Barber, I believe, got 17 carries. <laughs> you know, that, that's not going to happen again this week, or if it does, I mean, good luck to them, but I just think they have a lot more uh, reliable options there, and you know, Cam Sims has floated in and out of these games, but I think he still has pretty big, big potential, and um, Logan Thomas has just been a security blanket all year. So, you know, they, they have some, some talent there. Uh, you look, think about what Ron Rivera said uh, when talking about kind of Haskins and the way he performed. They moved the ball well enough to get into the red zone and in scoring areas. They just missed so many opportunities. I don't think that was on the playmakers. Um, I would, uh, I would agree with that. Um, is there, is there any question that, again, I would not somebody that would take a receiver high in the draft and it's not a position I would put a ton of assets into. I just don't like, I just look at it that even the best receivers only catch the ball five, six, seven times a game at most. And just where they line, you know, line up on the field, they're not as impactful as other positions. That said, do we concur that a second receiver, as it stands right now, assuming or let's assuming that Brandon Sheriff and Chase Rie come back, are the number is the number one need on the offense? Well, I take it back. The quarterback, the quarterback is the number one concern. But beyond that, well, you know, they have so much cap room that I think if you were going to try and spend on a position. I mean, they went after Amari Cooper last season. Allen Robinson, maybe this is my Chicago bias being from there and seeing a lot of their games, but the guy is a very good receiver. And I think if they could um, pony up for him, you know, I, I think that kind of solves your your issue with the number two receiver or he would become maybe even a number one. And um, you could use that draft capital elsewhere. But even if they don't, I mean, I think it, it's kind of interesting with McLaurin and all these other types of receivers in recent years. Receivers haven't struggled as rookies as nearly as much as they used to. Right. You know, maybe that's just from watching McLaurin, but when you kind of look around the league and well, I mean, his his class with uh, uh, AJ yeah. Brown, DK Metcalf, yeah, these but guys have come in this year. You know. Right. I mean, I thought Jerry Judy looked pretty good. That Denver obviously has had quarterback issues, but, uh, you know, Jerry Judy is, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a big fan of him. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, yes. I mean, and that's the thing also. I mean, I don't know that anything, I haven't looked enough in the draft to know how deep this receiver class is, but like you can typically get like, you know, some of these guys in day two. You don't have to go first round pick and get a guy who can come in and uh, make a play. Um, we, I guess we've sort of discussed Alex Smith a little bit, but just sort of. To, to, to drill this point home and we're talking again we're talking on a Wednesday 
two more days of practice. That said, the question from at Henry in the cut, what is your confidence level in Alex Smith playing on Sunday? Um, a hundred percent from my story's sake. <laughs> Realistically, you know, I thought he was going to play last week. So what the hell do I know? <laughs> I mean, the, 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 you know, there's a lot of things said today and, you know, part of the job is we got to interpret what they're saying. When Ron Rivera was asked to, to, to again, state that if Alex Smith doesn't practice, he could still play. And he said, absolutely. That, that, that says to me that they don't really have a clue what Alex Smith's status is, but they're going to pray to God he's available. Yeah. And, you know, Taylor Heineke played pretty well on Sunday, but. Wait, what's, what's the quarterback's last name? Heineke. How do you say it? Heineke. Heineke. There you go. <laughs> no, I mean, he just, he played well, but from their point of view, if Alex Smith is 60 or 65%, I'm sure they would take that over 100% to, you know, Heineke. Uh, I don't know. I just, I think he's going to play. I mean, another week of rest. Maybe it's still sore a little bit, but he'll try and fight through that soreness. No, he was going to, if Dwayne Haskins had gotten hurt in that San Francisco game, they said Smith was going to come back in. So, I mean, it's been two weeks to rest, almost three since that injury now. Uh, I don't know. We'll, We'll see, but I would lean towards him playing. But what the hell do I know? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll just go, I'll buy into what Alex Smith is selling, that he was close, he's really close, he said, uh, last week, and they're going to do everything they possibly can to get him ready, and, you know, while Dwayne Haskins obviously didn't work out last week on any level, he at least had been playing, Taylor Heineke has not been, I mean, he played the end of the fourth quarter, and I know people were excited for what he did, but I I discussed it in an earlier podcast. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to why I don't know if that was real or not. We'll see. But I, I mean, he was out of football. Quarterbacks are not out of football if people buy in. And, uh, you know, the gunslinger thing can be fun, but there's a reason why those guys are not always the, uh, the, the starter. So I'll say Alex Smith plays, but, you know, I'm not betting a dollar on that, uh, on that one way or the other. Uh, last question here with uh, Matt Parrish in the Washington Times, and this is for me. Are they going to win? Yes, <laughs> I, I do. I mean, I just Philly. If Philly couldn't beat Dallas, and they've just have been a mess. I know Jalen Hurts has been really good, and if they lose, it would certainly be like a Washington type loss. Where, of course, of course they would blow it. Yada yada yada. But the defense is still really good. They've only given up twenty points each in their last two games. That they're they're well coached. Uh, I don't. I I think they're going to win, but uh, you know, I just kind of think the game is going to go like kind of how these games go. They're not going to score in the first possession. They're going to figure it out around halftime and kind of go from there. But I mean, do I have a lot of confidence they're going to win? No, but I'm leaning that way for sure. I, I uh, on. Uh... Tuesday's podcast yeah I can't keep track on Tuesday's podcast 
uh, I talked to our Eagles writer, Zach Berman, and I asked the question, like, did everybody's kind of just generically asking, like, since Philly has nothing to play for, what could we expect from them? He's like, well, they only have four wins when they were supposedly trying to play. So there's, there, there's a reason to question what they might do in this front. His basic point was that the defense, the, the corners, the secondary isn't a real mess. They're really, uh, you know, going having to go real, real deep into the depth chart. But the defensive line is still one of the better ones in the league. And Jalen Hurts has been interesting, and we've seen Washington struggle with mobile quarterbacks this year. I think my only concern with Washington is that first half. They have been very good in the second half. Last, I believe, I, I think this was as of, at least as of last week, if not this week, they're number two in point differential in the second half, I think behind Tampa Bay. But you can't fall behind because even if it's Alex Smith, it's not like they've been scoring a ton of points, and Alex Smith will be compromised in some way. You won't have McLaurin. They just have got to avoid – a disastrous uh, first half, you know, first quarter. And um, if they can do that, I think they win. I'll be optimistic. I'll put out positive vibes and say that happens. Because, look, if nothing else, Matt and I would like to cover a playoff game. That would be kind of fun, especially if it's, say, Tom Brady at home. That would that would be the worst way to spend a uh, to spend a weekend uh, next week getting ready or a whole week getting ready for that one. And if there's anything we're known for, it's our trademark optimism. Yes, you and I were the optimism twins. Um, all right, so uh, I appreciate uh, all the questions. You guys did a great job. Thanks. Sorry for anybody who's I didn't get to, but I, I, I appreciate it all. The, all the same, uh, you can of course, if you if this podcast wasn't enough on Monday or sorry on Sunday after the game, I talked to Grant Paulson from 1067, and one question we got into that sort of applies here is if they lose and finish the season six and ten and don't win the division. Is this is does that put a like, sort of like a negative spin on a season where for the most part things were kind of optimistic, but the way it ended, does that put a negative spin? And then I said on Tuesday's podcast, I talked to our Eagles writer Zach Berman and Sam Fortier from the Washington Post. Uh, so you can go know, check those out as well. Thanks to Matt Paris. Go follow him on Twitter at Matthew underscore Paris. Read his stuff in the Washington Times. Um, and um, I don't know. That's it. I, I don't even begin to know what to tell you is going to come next. Because there's always there's always something. I mean, it's, the fact that this season could come down to Taylor Heineke starting a quarterback. That yes, 2020. As as Ron Rivera told us today, there's been nothing's been normal this season. Why should Week 17? All right, that's it for now. Ben Standick signing off. Until next time. See ya.